There we go. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Barton, and I'm here with Reverend Abigail Conley. And this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, on this episode, in honor of uh, Halloween, we're going to talk about hell uh, as described in the Bible. Um, but first, um, uh, this is such an important topic to Abby in her avocational work that I wanted to give her a chance to tell us what we can learn from horror films. So Abby, take it away. So yes, I should say that my favorite horror movies are also the ones that are theologically sound in a whole bunch of ways. So if you are a fan of say the Conjuring universe and you know anyone who can get me a job as a consultant to make them more theologically sound, I would be open to that offer. I like what I do, but they have some major, major problems in their theology and understanding of evil which is very different from say the exorcist who had a very good religious consultant. Um, Joss Whedon, while also a raging atheist, anything he does has some really solid theology and understanding. So there is this overarching notion, um, even in the theologically unsound ones, that hell is a coexistent place to where we are now. Um, so, you know, if we were, in living in a different age, we would talk about hell as kind of somewhere underground, that sort of thing. I would say now we mostly talk about different realms, but it is coexistent, but it is a different place that we could go to. Um, demons exist in hell as a different species. Um, they have powers, they look different, they look scary. They're not human. Um, mm-hmm. And Particularly, I would say that's in contrast with um, kind of the Orthodox Christian understanding as the angels of hell being fallen heavenly angels after a fight in heaven where Lucifer fell and took the angels with him. Um, in but, most, there, but there is the idea of demons are certainly present, right, in, in the right. gospels particularly, I guess. Right. Demons and demon possession with that. Because like, and they make people do things and those sorts of things. So you get that when you get to movies like The Exorcist, where somebody's being possessed. And there's a whole bunch of demon possession movies, for sure. Those other worldly beings are not bound by the same abilities. So like, even if they possess a human, one of the first sounds, signs is humans doing things humans shouldn't be able to do. Right. They might have particular um, iterations of abilities in the exorcist, like they name the demon Bazuzu early on. And then in a prequel to the exorcist, they actually go and dig up, like researchers had been, archeologists had dug up all this other um, information. So they found out Bazuzu is a God of wind or a demon of wind. So that's very present in the prequel that, you know, he stirred up a windstorm and covered all of these things. The, the people who understood that Bazuzu was a wind demon that, mm-hmm. that happened in real life, right? Not in the exercise. Real life. Not in yeah. the movie. Sorry. But it was then really helpful to the movie. Right. That, hey, we know this information about this ancient, known as a demon, understood, or named in writings, that then we find out more about what that demon should, could supposedly do. And but, I think in a lot of these movies, there is this idea, when you're talking about the segregated space of like the demons have their space, we have our space, or the, you know, like... um. Uh, you, you talk too about like thin spaces. We've talked about this before and uh, around Halloween, I think. 
of like where there's like the the two realms are like close together or something like that right so there is the idea of thin spaces i think in a whole bunch of different understandings of how the world works in in christianity we have that understanding you know the holy of holies that is talked about in the ancient temple where where the priest can go only once a year that's because god dwells there and so somehow this is a thin place where the you're you're not necessarily safe there but you are but you have to approach it in a right way mm-hmm. so you get these ideas of of kind of thin places even even in scripture i mean if you're in the presence of jesus then i have to think you would know something else was happening when we talk about the moving of the spirit we have to acknowledge that something else is happening there's this meeting with this these things we don't understand and we would say supernatural um it's not the same as you know it's easier for demons to enter at midnight or Uh sorts of things or it's easier for demons to come on halloween because of these incantations it's not that but there are some similarities there of we believe there are thin places where we encounter other realms or heaven or hell. And you know, it's interesting. We, I hadn't talked about this, but I mean, there is some sort of terrifying power of God, like old Testament, like touching the Ark of the covenant causes you to die. Like you can't see the face of God, right? You have to hide your eyes or else there's like, you know, you, I mean, so it, this, um, you know, this idea that there is this understood, this, this thing that we don't understand that also is sort of terrifying and powerful. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's an idea, a concept that sort of pervades through. Uh, yeah. The, the Old Testament actually talks about fear of the Lord fairly often. And the verb in Hebrew is Yerah. And so if you've seen the, um, there are ancient Near Eastern paintings and carvings, but if you see kind of like, the Egyptian even approaches to Pharaoh where you see the pictures of like people in front of Pharaoh's throne, but their hands up with guarding. Mm-hmm. That is also shown in ancient Near Eastern iconography. So there's this idea that like, I want to be here because it's amazing, but I also know that what you could do. Yeah. So the fear of the Lord is both of those, like this desire to draw near and this very real hesitancy about drawing near. Um, I think about it a lot with, with kids who really want to do something, but are afraid to at the same time. Like my grandfather um, kept various sorts of critters throughout my childhood. And one of those was like chickens. So like there are these new hatched chicks that I absolutely want to touch because, you know, they're these cute little fluffy chicks. I'm also scared. Like, like what happens? Yeah. What do I this what what is it going to do if it's in my hands mm-hmm. and I think that, that sort of being of yes excitement and fear is very much a summation of this verb yura and how we approach god so it's not accurate to just think of it as respect to just translate right. fear as respect there's there's a more nuance than that i think so um and then before we jump into it i think another thing for us to sort of contrast we haven't really said yet is that you know uh, the horror movies, the Western understanding of, of the demonic or the evil is kind of distinct from other, you can have supernatural beings that are not scary. Right. Like we talked about gin as being kind of playful. I think about like elves and sprites and things like that in some of the sort of uh, Celtic traditions that are like, you know, they're, 
They may be mischievous. Right. They're mischievous. They like to mess with you. They're not, they're not holy or evil. They just kind of exist. Yeah. And they kind of are more, their space is kind of our space. Right. That that's the, um, was it, is it trolls that they build the roads around in Norway? I think it's in, I think it's Norway. I think that I know that there are like, uh, where the, it's either trolls or, or elves. I don't know what they say, but like somebody will say that's a troll, that's an elf house or whatever. And they mm-hmm. literally won't, won't build the road through it. You know, just be safe. Yeah. I mean, they're not saying they're real, but, you know, just be safe. Right. Just it's so. close. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk then a little bit about what we have in Scripture. And one thing is, um, I think it's important as progressives and liberals to say, look, Jesus talked about hell a lot. Probably more than he talked about heaven. Right. Um, and Jesus talks about hell more than... Paul does like when you start asking the question where you where does where does the bible even talking about hell the answer is jesus yeah i i have had that conversation with progressive clergy who managed to miss that so let's just be clear that while we are not fully on team hell and place of torment like we acknowledge that this is part of the testament of scripture that's exactly right. And um, um, I often will say things, I mean, we're eventually going to talk about what gets you to hell. And I mean, the premise there is if there is a hell, what, what, how do you get there? What do you right. do to end up there? And, and maybe I don't, maybe I don't, I mean, I've already said, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of, I, it's not that I'm not a fan. I don't happen to believe in an afterlife. And so um, that means I don't get to then believe in an afterlife so that my enemies can be in hell. No, that's not the way it works. But in this conversation, I do think it is important. I mean, I do think we can talk about what, particularly what Jesus said about hell. Let's say this too, by the way. Let's actually start with this. Um, Jesus is fairly descriptive about what, the, the, what hell is like. In, in, uh, so, so Jesus talks about um, Lazarus, right? Is it, Laz- is it with a T-H or an S? Lazarus? Lazarus. Lazarus. And he talks about, uh, so that's a parable where there's the guy, the Who's in? Who talks about hell? And there's a chasm between heaven and hell. Um, Jesus talks about um, where the sheep's and the goats. Um, mm-hmm. Frankly, the parable of the uh, of the uh, talents um, talks about being cast out in the outer darkness. I mean, I don't know that that's identified as hell, but it certainly is an idea. And in each case, when Jesus is describing hell, and he compares it to um, the burning trash heap, which is Gehenna. Gehenna. Right. So um, Jesus is talking about a place of torment where people are sent for punishment. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and I mean, I suppose it's fair to say that most of these references are in parables. Right. Right. So, okay. But it's one of those deals where, I mean, I don't know what the parable needs to have such a graphic description of it if, if Jesus didn't believe that it was a literal thing. Right. Um, we talked last time uh, about how Jesus believed in an afterlife. We, we kind of know that because Jesus was probably a Pharisee and because of his interactions with Sadducees. Um, um, there's no reason to think he didn't. There's absolutely nothing to say he doesn't indicate an afterlife. But these parables about judgment seem to me to suggest pretty strongly that that Jesus uh, did believe in a hell. And he believed I, that you would get there if you didn't do the right things. Jesus point blank says that there were people who will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, that the subjects of the kingdom 
will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And where's that? That is in Matthew 8, 12, 8, 11, and 12. So that's a separate, that's a separate reference uh, distinct from the Matthew 25. Yeah. That's what you do to the least of these that you're doing to me. Yeah. This is just like the people who share in this faith go here and those who don't here. Um, we and, were talking, go ahead. There you go. go on. We were talking before about how I found um, an interesting online article that listed like very carefully all of the references to when Jesus talked about hell, Luke 16, Matthew 25, Mark 9. Matthew 13, Luke 16. They don't actually they don't have Matthew 8 on here. Matthew uh, 10. Um, all the all these references very well cited. Um, and then when it got to the point, it has a very bold reasons for hell. Um, all of a sudden, the citations disappear um, because this is a conservative author, and so they want to talk about um, being a bad person and not being a good American is what's going to get you to hell. Um, that's not what Jesus said. Um, um, Jesus says don't commit adultery, but Jesus doesn't say that committing adultery gets you to hell. Right. Um, um, in fact, Jesus says very clearly what gets you to hell over and, over and every time he's very clear and consistent about this is not doing justice for the poor, not caring for the thirsty, not caring for the stranger, not caring for the imprisoned. Right? Yeah. And when those people came back and said, Jesus, when did we... Uh, what are you talking about? When did we not do this thing? They were surprised, right? They were somebody like this author who was reading, you know, was thinking that if it could just be a good Roman citizen or a good Israelite, then they would be fine. Wrong. The answer is, if you don't take care of the poor, you go to hell, according to Jesus. Um, so that's the people who end up there. Right. Um, being gay does not get you to hell. Right. right? Jesus never mentions being gay. And Jesus, it's not like... Jews didn't know about the idea of being gay. Gay sex is prohibited in a few places in the in the Hebrew scripture. And Jesus doesn't mention gay sex either. Right. Like be, being gay or gay sex. Yeah. Nothing about that. And he could have. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason why Jesus could not have. Jesus does talk about adultery. Right. And he does talk about lust. Mm -hmm. And he says, "Don't do it." it doesn't and, say it get doesn't say it gets you to hell. Right. I would also say he says, don't do it. And he definitely puts like the problem of pragmatic parts on men, not women, despite the church's history of doing the opposite. That's right. Exactly right. If it, if it offends so you, cut, cut it off. Yep. What did you say? Like what? If you're lusting, plug out your eyes. Yes. Right. Um, okay. Um, what about, uh, what about abortion? Jesus does not mention abortion. The Old Testament knows abortion exists, knows forced miscarriages exist. There is no penalty of death. <laughs> That's right. So let's be very clear. In the Old Testament, there is a test, a, a bitter water trial that you can do to make a woman who you think has been uh, unfaithful to have a, an abortion, have a miscarriage on purpose if she was, if she was unfaithful. Mm -hmm. There is a provision about being struck and causing a miscarriage, right? So it's, again, it's not like abortion was unknown to Jesus. Jesus right. would have known of these things. None and of these things get you in hell. Jesus and several generations before. <laughs> right. That's right. So like, what, gets, what gets you to hell is, is not taking care of the poor, not taking care of the sick, the thirsty, the imprisoned, the stranger. That's yep. what gets you to hell.
So just to be very clear, to put as fine a point on as we can with some current events, if a president was to die, that president would not go to hell because he had been divorced a whole bunch of times, even though Jesus says don't do that. He would not go to hell because he uh, had committed infidelity and was an adulterer, even though Jesus says don't do it. Uh, he would not go to hell um, because he paid for abortions for his mistresses, nor would he go to hell because of sexual perversions that we've heard about in the news. None of those things would send him to hell. He would, however, go to hell if he made there be more poor people, if he let the sick go untreated and lied and caused hundreds of thousands of people to die from illness, if he treated the stranger with wickedness, if he caged children. Those things will get this hypothetical person to go to hell upon death. If I believed in that, which I don't. <laughs> so since you don't believe in that, Jim again is very, very just, there's no afterlife. He's done. He's done. Yeah. Um, there are some liberal alternatives to this. One is hell exists and there's no one there. Jesus, Jesus has the ability to redeem everyone, including people who lock children in cages because Jesus is just and great and does mercy and justice in a way that we could not as humans. Doesn't seem like there's a real biblical case for that, but we also understand the church as ongoing revelation, having ongoing revelation from the Holy Spirit. So, so that is one option. There is a hell that is reserved for Satan and his angels, and those are the only ones stuck there. And then the other one is this idea that everyone lives in the presence of God in the afterlife. And for the wicked people, being constantly in God's presence would be hell. Right. Being made to eat dinner with the people who you would prefer to be in cages is hell. Right. Um, that's kind of beautiful in its elegance, you know, as like, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an elegant, think about my physics training, you know, it's an elegant way to solve a problem. You know, it's sort of, it's a, it's a natural consequences sort of solution. Um, um, it's also intriguing. Um, I will say, if, if I can be a little cheeky, I don't, I mean, frankly, you're, these are kind of made up too, though. I mean, but you're right. We, it, you can evolve. I mean, I guess that's fair to, to talk about as the evolution, but I mean, th there really is no biblical case for either one of these. Right. So the long, the longer theological conversation is around um, merit and, and what, what matters, condign and congruent merit, and that's, that's a whole conversation. But is there anything you can do that is so bad that would condemn you to eternal torment? Like yeah. if you get to that question, I would say the number of people for whom that would be true is minuscule. You know, we, we still live in the shadow of world war two. I don't know. Does Hitler who kills millions of people merit eternal punishment? I think that's the level we're talking about before we get there. So that's the theological problem is what, what could you do? And the converse is what could you do that's good enough to merit eternal reward? Yeah. Well, biblically it says do these things, you know, going back to the good place that is a very helpful show for this conversation. Is it really just about racking at points to, to make it into heaven? 
or do you somehow rely on the grace and justice of God to, to get you there and reward you appropriately? Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think what's interesting is when we talked about the idea of heaven, we talked about there being some dangers with, um, offsetting, right. Putting things off. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's interesting about the idea of hell that may actually be helpful is I don't know if I, if, I don't think it's helpful for me to think about who deserves, who, what other people deserve to go to hell other than just like a little hate fantasy that I went through there with a, a few minutes ago. The, right. the hate fantasy is not productive, right? That's not a, that's not a healthy, good thing to do. Um, but, but if I acknowledge that there are things that for me that I can cross a threshold and that, I can't get back out of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That might be an interesting, that might be valuable for me, right? I mean, if you think about, if now I'm thinking about for myself and I'm thinking about the idea that I can do something so horrible that I can never be right again. Right. Well, maybe, you know what I mean? If you're thinking about, if you're like heading down sort of a dark path, I'm thinking about like addiction. I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about um, rationalizing your behaviors, you know? So let's say, let's say that um, I'm, working for a, um, I'm working for a client who um, is doing shadier and shadier things, but I'm, I'm getting, it's very profitable for me financially. And so I just sort of say, well, I mean, this is okay, this is okay. And if I think to myself, if, if at some point, if I became aware that this client that I was, that I was helping with their scheme, not, I'm not talking now about defending in the concept of like you, um, like everyone deserves a defense and that kind of, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, say I was participating actively. And then I found out that this client was doing something really horrible, you know, committing murders or, um, you know, uh, sex trafficking or some kind of very horrible thing. It might be the case that crossing that line, I, I can't get myself back. Now we're a redemptive people. And so we would always believe that there's always salvation is always available. Right. Right. But, the notion that you can do something, you can do something. And again, that talk, focusing on yourself instead of others, that you can do something that could be so awful that you cannot, you couldn't walk it back. There's no amount of, you would not be capable of receiving the forgiveness necessary to be good again, to be right again. That may be a decent caution that comes with the idea of, a, of an eternal punishment. I don't know. Right. But on the other side of that, then that becomes the, well, what do we believe about God? Do we believe God's ability to redeem? Well, yes. Then somebody who's irredeemable and condemned, that's, that's a different problem. Right. Yeah. The structure of hell, the, there are some internal, internal inconsistencies that are pretty difficult right. to deal with. Right. So, and maybe that's why you get the liberal alternatives to hell is, is trying to, is trying to address the internal inconsistencies. Yeah. I would say, Yes, that is very much true. And um, those inconsistencies and those conversations about merit have existed for at least from the Reformation forward, if yeah. not well before. So, yeah. Well, I think the most important thing to know is that if there's a hell, being mean to poor people is what gets you there. Agreed. I think that that's a for sure. If, and if, we, and if, and if people just do it, if people are just better to the poor and the hungry and the stranger and the imprisoned for fear of that, I'll take it. I mean, I'd rather they do it as a manifestation of their good heart, but if, if they just do it for fear of hell, that's okay too, I guess. Right. We would prefer you do it out of participation in the reign of God, but if it's yes. out of 
let's not go to hell. We'll take it. We'll take it. And your right. poor probably will too. Yes, that's exactly right. Amen. All right. Anything else on hell? No. Nope. All right. Very good. Well, um, thank you, Abby. And thank you folks for listening. That'll uh, conclude another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Cheers.